we have uh, focused our attention on a series of messages that were designed to help us to get to know God up close and personal. And uh, we discovered that there was an overwhelming evidence for those who choose to look at it as far as the existence of God is concerned. God definitely proves that he exists in many ways, and we saw that. We learned that the Bible is a trustworthy source of information, and it gives us great details as to the identity of God. And uh, in the Bible, God reveals himself clearly to us. He tells us that he is concerned about us. He tells us uh, that he loves us, that he's personal, that he's relational, that we can actually get to know him on a personal basis. And uh, one of the things that concerns me is that as uh, we consider the fact that many of us know of one another, but we don't truly know each other. Y you follow what I'm saying? See, we can know of each other. You can know of me, and I could know of you, but it doesn't really mean that we know each other in an intimate, personal basis. And, uh, you know, in fact, sometimes we don't even know one another's names, yet alone know anything about one another. And the same is true of our relationship with God. You know, for many of us, we know of God, but we've never come to a point in our lives where we actually know Him personally. And, uh, and that's what really I want to focus on, and it would be a, an, obviously a fitting conclusion to everything that we've looked at up to this point. But what I want to do is ask a question that's highly personal in nature and one that only you can address, but there's evidence that we can look at, and that is, do you know God? That's really the question that we'll address this morning. Do I know God? I mean, not do I just, have I just heard of Him or know of Him, but do I know Him in a personal way? You know, Psalm 23, uh, David writes that the Lord is my shepherd. And there was a personal, intimate relationship that David had with God. And all throughout the Bible, we, we hear of an intimate relationship that others have had with God. And I ask myself the question, is God personal to me or is he still distant? Is he distant to you or is he personal? Can you make the same claim? The Lord is my shepherd. And, and because of that, I shall not want. And I know about him personally and intimately. Um, that's what that series was designed to do, hopefully help us to understand more of God than we knew before we started, but to also to ask ourselves this question, do you know God in a personal, intimate way? You know, if I ask you the question and I ask you to give me reasons why you believe that you know Him, uh, we have all kind of interesting ideas, and, and we have different interpretations. I like the story that I heard recently about... Um, it was a third grade Sunday school class that were going through the Christmas story. They were going through Luke chapter 2. And the teacher's assignment to the children was, go ahead and draw a picture of something that you've just learned from this story. And so the first little boy that goes to the front of the room has a picture. And in this picture, he's got, and he shows the class, he's got Joseph and Mary in a, in a jet airplane. And the teacher is curious, said, well, Johnny, what, can you explain to the class what you've drawn? And he said, oh, yeah, this is Joseph and this is Mary. And she said, okay, well, I understand that, but where did you get the jet airplane? He said, oh, this was when they were taking their flight to Egypt. <laughs> and, and she goes, oh, okay, well, that's pretty good. And uh, said, well, well, who else is in the airplane? And he said, well, that's Joseph and Mary. And she said, well, who's in the front of the airplane? He goes, oh, that's Pontius the pilot. <laughs> so, all right. You know and, and only, you know, and only a child could really see things that maybe we miss sometimes. But anyway, if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. And we'll take a look, starting with verse 19, as we address this particular question of, Do you know God? 
Do you know him in a personal, intimate way, or have you just heard of him? And there's a big difference, as we'll see, between the two. In 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 19, we begin here. It says, And we shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And, ever we ask, and whatever we ask of him, we will receive. Because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. If you're not familiar with this first letter that John writes, it is a letter of tremendous assurance and confidence. In this letter, John continually reminds us that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we can know with all the certainty that God can give us and have an assurance and confidence in our heart that we have a relationship with God. Not that we have just heard of Him, but we know Him intimately and personally. And all throughout this first letter in John, we, we hear of confident statements and assurance type statements that are made over and over again. For example, many of us will know not just from head knowledge, but from experience many things about life. We can know, for example, how wonderful and difficult marriage can be if you have been married or are married. You can, if you're single, you can hear of what it would be like. That's head knowledge. But when you actually are going into a situation or are in the midst of it, you will know from experience exactly what's going on. We have many guys that I deal with that have heard that the NFL is a tough place to make a living, but until they experience it are there personally, there's a different type of knowledge that's to be gained once you make that transition. The guys will say, man, you know what? I thought in college guys were good. But we're, this, this is a whole new plane of, of ability. It's like in college we had a handful of guys that were of that ability, but now here I am in the pros, and everybody's that good. See, they heard it was difficult, but now they've experienced exactly how difficult it really is. And see, what God is saying to me and to you through this particular letter and, and this particular passage is, Chuck, you can know of me head knowledge, but there's also a point in your life where you must experience who I am. That's why over 19 times we hear phrases like this. But this we know from experience and from head knowledge. The apostles, those who lived with Jesus say, you know what? We have seen and we have handled him. We have witnessed what he's done. Not just have we heard about the goodness and greatness of God, but we were there when, when he did these things. We saw him for ourselves. We experienced these things. It says, we know, we have known, that you may know, you know, you have known. How does one know whether they truly know God? How does one know whether you're really a Christian or not? The easiest thing in the world to say is, yes, I'm a Christian. But how do you really know if you are? What are the answers that you would give if somebody asked you the question, do you know God? Those are very important questions. And so as we go through this, we can have an assurance and a confidence that maybe you've never had before. And for the first time in your life, you may be able to walk out of here and say, you know what, based on what the Bible says, I can say, I truly know God. What a great position that is to be in life. 
And he gives us basically three proofs or evidence or ways that you can determine whether you know God. Number one, in verses 19 through 22, we have this. You can know that you have a relationship with God by the assurance that God gives you in your own heart. We'll go into each one of them in detail. The second thing is, in verse 23, it says, You can know that you have a relationship to God by the acceptance, by your acceptance of Jesus Christ and His commandments in your life. And then the final thing in verse 24 is, we can know that we have a right relationship with God by the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life. The assurance that God gives us in our heart, the acceptance of Jesus Christ and His commandments in our life, and then the last thing is, by the activity of the Holy Spirit. Those are the three points. That's, the, that's basically the outline. But I'll tell you what, this stuff is good stuff. And if you get it down and you understand it, it'll change your life. Number one, the assurance that God gives in our heart. Do I truly know God? The real issue and the real question then becomes a matter of, you know what? What kind of assurance do I have? Do I have a confidence in my own heart? Do I have a peace in my own heart? Do, do, I, do I wonder, if I die today, what would really happen to me? I don't really know if I know God. I don't know if I can make the same claims that other people make that they know Him. I know of Him. But I don't really know if I know Him personally to that degree of, of, uh, of assurance and confidence. What John does is he gives us an outline basically and says, this then is how we will know. By not only head knowledge, but by experience that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commandments and do what pleases Him. In this particular passage, what he's saying is, you know what, are there times in your life where you doubt the relationship that you think that you have with God? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. See, and this becomes very subjective, because if it was based on feelings or emotions alone, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Because what he's saying is, you know what, there are times when I feel I have a relationship with God and there are times that I don't feel I have a relationship with God and my heart condemns me or questions me or challenges me. Do you really think if you died today that you'd go to heaven? What in the world? How do you come up with that? What are you thinking? And so we begin to struggle with this, this thing about assurance or whatever. You know, it's interesting as you go through this. I mean, we've all gone through times in our life where we felt we've done well and have learned that we really didn't do that great. Have you, have you ever gone through that? I remember distinctly a, a, an example in my own life when, when I was playing in a football game and I thought I was the greatest thing that ever happened to the game of football. No, I really did. And, 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 I, was, and I heard my name being called out over the intercom, you know, the PA system. You know, tackle by number 60, Obrevsky. Oh, man, I was like, I was awesome. You should have been there. It was really great. That was incredible. I mean, and I heard it all night long. I thought, man, this is the greatest. So the first time I was in a varsity game, I, I was a, a junior, first, second game, got thrown in there, man, I was like ripping it up. I thought I was awesome. My coach had a different idea. He thought I was awful. Now, it both begins with A, but completely different meanings there. And, uh, and the way we found out was we watched film the next day, and I, even though I had a lot of tackles, the places I was making the tackles, I wasn't even supposed to be there. And that's a problem. And, and it's like, well, what, what was the deal? Well, see, the guys that play, that play sports have a, a saying. It's, it goes something like this. The big eye in the sky, it don't lie. 
And what that is, a big old camera that films everything that you do. And you can think you're doing great, and you're not doing real well at all. And the film shows it. And so it was the first vivid illustration that I learned in my life where there are times where I felt I was doing great, but I really wasn't. But my feelings threw me off. There are times I feel like I'm the greatest husband in the world. But I need a reality check. That's why I have a wife. <laughs> and, and, you know, and she helps me get back to reality sometimes. You know, but we all feel we're doing great. You know, you feel like you knocked it out in the test. Man, I did great, and you get it back, and you didn't do as good as you thought. See, and that's the problem with our relationship with God. Sometimes we feel like we got this great relationship, but we may not even have one. And, check this out, sometimes we feel like we don't have one, and we do. Follow that? Interesting, isn't it? See, the problem with all this is, is that, well, why do I feel good about my relationship with God? Then we start going through this gymnastics. Well, let's see. I was baptized. I go to church pretty regularly. Three out of four, that's 750. If I was a baseball player, I'd be making a trillion dollars a year. That's if I was playing. Um, you know, and you go through, uh, well, I, you know, I'm pretty charitable. I give money. Uh, you know, I read my Bible once, well, this month. Uh, you know, and you go through this list of things that, and you go, well, wait a minute. How do you know objectively? Because subjectively, it gets really confusing. Let me give you three, three ways from this passage. Number one, God says, you know what? You'll know whether you have a right relationship with me if you demonstrate my love towards other people. If you demonstrate my love towards other people. You know what? Let's do that. All right? Objective. It's not subjective. It's not based on feelings. God's saying, hey, you know what, Chuck? If you want to know that you have a right relationship with me, you'll begin to demonstrate love towards others. If you'll notice, verses 16 and 17 or in 18, prior to verse 19, he says, we shall know by this. Well, by what? He goes back up and says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to also lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against them, well, how does the love of God abide in him? He says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. So the first checklist, if you want something in your life, is do I really know God? He's saying, Chuck, you will know me, and I'll give you an assurance in your heart. If you have evidence or demonstrate these things in your life, you will know that you know me. Number one, do you have a love for others? Specifically, he's talking about a love for other believers in God. Now, I want to tell you something. <clears throat> if you don't have an, a relationship with God, and you haven't come to know Him, but you know of Him, the hardest people in the world to have a love for are people who claim to have a relationship with God. Isn't that true? I remember very distinctly meeting people who claimed to know God. Not of God or heard of God or whatever, but people who said, no, I know God. I have a relationship with God. And I know based on what God says, if I die today, I'm going to heaven. Now see, before I knew God, I knew of Him. Before I knew Him, the hardest people in the world didn't like or even be around were people who made such a claim. That's the weirdest thing in the world to tell somebody that doesn't know God. It's the strangest thing you ever hear coming from the mouth of another person who says, I know God. What do you mean you know Him? I know Him better than I know you. I have a relationship with Him that's personal and that's intimate. I know Him. You go, man, that is weird. 
I really, I mean, I remember like it was yesterday hearing that for the first time. And I was in a, in a college class where someone said, I know God. And the answer to all the problems in the world is to come into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I remember distinctly telling them to shut up and sit down. That is nonsense. The last place you want to be if you don't have a relationship with God is around a bunch of people who have a relationship with God. Because you know what you feel like? You feel like you're, you're, you're invading someone's family reunion. You get all these people talking about Aunt Betsy and Uncle Joe and, and, you know, and Aunt Harriet and all these people and you don't know any of them, you don't know anything about them and you're in the middle of all of it and it's like, this is too awkward and uncomfortable, I think I want to get out of here. And that's what happens when people visit churches very often. They feel like, I don't fit in here. I don't feel a part of what's going on here. And oftentimes it's just basically the, the simple problem of, well, you know what, you're really not rightly related to the people that are here. Not that we don't want you here. Not that we don't want to make you feel wanted here. But we can't give you an assurance in your heart because only God can give that to you. See, I can't make anybody feel more comfortable in being somewhere that they don't want to be unless God gives them that assurance in their own heart. It's not something we can do for one another. But we demonstrate a love towards others. And usually it's people that we used to despise. If any man or woman's in Christ, he's a new creature. All things pass away. All things become new. It's like it's a whole new beginning. And so what he's saying is, if you truly have come into right relationship with God, you'll begin to love people that you used to despise. A few years back, I met a guy who was the classical, typical redneck from Memphis, Tennessee. And he was sharing what God had done in his life after he came into a relationship with God. Not just heard of him, but came to know him for the first time. I mean, you know, typically, he was one of those guys that I think that they had in mind when they wrote every one of those redneck jokes. You know the, the redneck jokes like, uh, you know, how do you know if you're a redneck? You know, if you're sitting on your porch and it collapses and you kill six dogs. You know, those types of jokes and stuff. Or, or how do you know if you're a redneck? You know, well, you know, if, if you walk your daughter to, to school and the reason you're walking her to school is because you're both in the same grade. You know, that, that, that type of thing. You know, th those kind of redneck jokes, you know. And, uh, and so he was, he was sharing. You can laugh. It's all right. You can loosen up a little bit. It's okay. Man. <clears throat> But, but he was sharing what God had done in his life. And he said there were three types of people on the face of the earth that he hated. And he hated them with a passion. And being from the South, regretfully, he said the first type of individual were African Americans. And he had a very derogatory term that he used for them. He hated blacks. He hated long-haired hippies was his phrase. He goes, you know, the kind that carry their living room and dining room in their, in their backpack. You know, and they said, and policemen. He hated those three types of people in his mind. But when he became rightly related to God, he said God began to change his heart. And the next thing you knew, he began to love people that he formerly despised. He remembered the first time he ever went up to a, an African American and said, you know what, I'm sorry for what I did. And I know that God loves you and I love you too and I don't understand it. And he put his arms around him and he hugged him and they both broke down and they started to cry because the man that he was hugging hated white people. But he had come into a right relationship with God and it changed his heart too and he couldn't understand what God was doing but he knew there was a demonstration or evidence in his life that something had changed. And he began to love people that he hated. And the question that I have and I ask of myself and I ask of you is if you really know God there's going to be a demonstration of love towards people that maybe you couldn't stand before. 
That's the type of assurance that we can have. It's objective. It's not subjective. It's not feel good. I think I do and I think I don't. I can honestly say that I begin to love people that I couldn't stand to be around. Number two, he also says that there's a dependence upon God himself. If you'll notice, he says this. You know what? Whenever, whenever our heart condemns us, he says we can have an assurance in our heart before God in whatever our heart condemns us. For why? God is greater than our heart. He's saying that we need to have a dependence on God alone and Him alone and on His Word alone. There are times in my life where I don't feel like I know God. There are times in my life where I don't feel like I'm a Christian. There are times in my life when I don't feel like I'm married. I don't feel like I'm a father. I don't feel like whatever. I mean, there are times in my life where I don't feel certain things. And I don't know and I don't understand feelings that much, but I do know this. But God is greater than our feelings. And when we begin to doubt our relationship with God, we need to turn to what He has to say to see whether or not we really have one or not. And there's a dependence upon God Himself. There are times where we make mistakes and we blow it and Satan sits on our shoulders, so to speak, and the little devil whispers in our ear, and you think that you know God? And you think that you're related to God? That's a lie! You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen to you. You don't know whether you're a believer or not. You don't know if you really believe in God. You say that you do, but look what you just did. How can you do what you did and still claim to believe in God? And we go through this gymnastics and we struggle with all of it, and yet we turn back to the Word of God because in it is where we find objectivity. And God says, you know what? When your heart condemns you, trust me because I'm greater than your heart. When you're struggling, believe what I have to say because I'm greater than your feelings and your emotions. I'll tell you the truth. Chuck Colson writes of a story of, of a, a gal that he met one time. He and his wife were in Colorado and they were going out for a walk and there was a knock at the door and this gal answered and the gal was standing at the door when they answered. And he asked her what her name was and she said, My name is Karen Higgins. I mean Karen Wheeler. I've only been married a few months. She sputtered. She dropped her eyes and she shifted one foot from the other. And she said, Thank you for such a warm greeting. And uh, Colson went to introduce himself and said, This is my wife, Patty. We were about to take a walk. And uh, she said, oh, it's a great day for walking, but would you mind if I asked you just one question? He said, no, that'd be great. She said, I was just wondering, I mean, how is a person sure about being a Christian? How does a person really know if they have a right relationship with God? And he thought, well, I guess it's time to cancel the walk. (laughs) And so they went back into the house and they began to have this conversation. She had doubts, she had tears in her eyes, and this is her story, and I think that many of us can relate to it. He said, I looked at my wife and I knew that uh, she knew that this gal needed help. So we forgot about the walk. We invited her inside and we took her into the living room where we all sat down. She began to pour out her life as we sat around the fire. She was a Christian since she was 12. She was raised in a devoutly religious family. She was educated in good schools, married to a childhood sweetheart when she was just 20. So So far she fitted the typical upper middle class pattern, but then came the shocker. She said her older brother, who was employed in a Christian organization, had always been her hero. But six months before, without warning, he had committed suicide. There was no obvious explanation, and this tragedy shattered her world, which she thought forever. He was such a perfectionist that he couldn't take it when he couldn't do everything he was supposed to do. He tried too hard at everything, she explained, as her eyes filled with tears. Karen kept trying to smile, even as tears rolled down her flushed cheeks. She wiped the tears as if angry at the display of emotion, and I tried to relax her, explaining that tears were normal and good for her, in fact, but she struggled anyway. She said, I'm afraid the same thing is going to happen to me. I've even thought of, 
Well, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I even thought of suicide myself. He said, why in the world would you say that? You have everything to live for. A husband, you said, who loves you. Friends, Christ in your life, a good home, a whole lifetime ahead of you. I don't understand. She pondered for a moment and said, because, well, because I don't really think I'm a Christian. Some days I'm so depressed I don't feel the joy I'm supposed to feel. I can't even smile at times. He said, neither can I a lot of days, especially when I'm visiting prisoners. She said, you? But I could tell from your book that you've really got it together. That's why I thought you could help me, that you can help me to get it together too. He said, Karen, there are days when I feel absolutely rotten, days when I doubt my own faith, days when I can't stand people, days when I'm depressed and angry. Things, those things are normal. But see, Jesus is always present and he's real, he's unchanging and he pulls me out of it. She said, but all my life I've been told that Christians are happy and joyous. You mean I can be a Christian even when I can't smile and feel happy? He said, you sure can, if you have truly asked Christ into your life. Don't forget, you're also human, and it's not easy to, be, to live the Christian life, which is in fact what you're now discovering. So don't you believe anyone who tells you that it is. In fact, you have my permission to throw your hymn book at the next person who gives you that simple syrup. He said, within minutes she seemed to be at peace alternating between sniffing and laughing and then realizing how foolish she had been, she would self-consciously stare at the, at the floor. Patty brewed a pot of tea and for the next hour we talked about the reality of the Christian life and it was amazing to watch the transformation as Karen rapidly regained her assurance in God. What was her problem? Doubt? What was the solution? Assurance? Where do we get such confidence? From God himself? Where do we find that confidence? In the word of God? See, when I begin to doubt my relationship with God, the only thing I need to do is turn to the Bible and start to read what God has to say. It's like sitting down with a parent, with a child who feels like his parents doesn't love him anymore. You got your child who will come to you and say, I just don't feel like you love me. And you sit down with him and you put your arm around him and you have a nice long talk with him and you assure him and you give him confidence and you have him to, help him to understand that no matter how foolish they are at times, that you still love them, that they're still your child and nothing will ever separate you from that relationship with them. That's the assurance that all of us need on a regular basis with God. We need to know in our heart that God loves us, that we're a child of God, that he cares for us intimately every day. But some of us don't have that assurance because we don't spend much time in that relationship. We don't spend much time in conversation, either through prayer or through reading the Bible. So we don't really know where we stand in our relationship with God. Do we really know Him or don't we know Him? And we go by emotions and feelings. And it's such a dangerous thing. We need the Word of God to objectively show us that we really have a relationship with God. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we go down through it and we understand how intimately he's involved in our lives. And as we look at these things and we begin to realize, you know what? Hey, my relationship with God's based on what he says, not based on what I feel. And so John says we need to turn to God himself and have a dependence on what he has to say. And not on what others say and not what we think even in our own heart, but what God says. God says it and I believe it. And that's what our faith breaks down to in its simplest form. God said it, and I believe it. The last thing he says is you'll know that you have a right relationship with God and that you'll begin to have a desire to please God. 
You have a desire to please God and not just please yourself. You'll have a whole new motive in life, a whole new purpose and a whole new goal. And as we go through this, we begin to ask the question, you know, what is my desire? Is my desire to please me or is my desire to please God? For those who truly know God and have entered into a right relationship with God, we'll begin to demonstrate love towards others, particularly people we despised before. We'll become dependent upon what God has to say. God said it and I believe it and that's good enough for me. And we're also going to have a desire to please God. And as we go through this, one of the best things that could ever happen is you begin to say, gosh, you know what? Like Jesus said, not my will be done, but your will. That our desire is to do the things that God wants us to do. And so we eliminate the subjectivity by looking at the objective objectivity that God gives us. How do I know I have a right relationship with God? Because God gives me assurance in my heart. I'll tell you what, before I came to know God, there was no one in the world who could tell me that I was okay. And I believed them. There's nobody in the world that can tell me if I died that day that I was going to heaven and I would believe them. And you know why? Because they didn't know a lot of stuff that I knew about me. Now they could say, from what we can see, you seem to be okay. But man, I'd lay in bed at night and go, hey, that's not good enough for me. I don't have any assurance in my heart. They could, you can get a whole bunch of people together and tell you, you're okay, I'm okay, you're okay, no you're not, because you know it and they don't. <laughs> Isn't that true? I mean, if somebody says, you're okay, and you know you're not, you know it, and there's no peace that's going to come with it. But when God gives you a peace, He gives you an assurance that no human being could ever give you. But we also know, by demonstrating love, by depending upon God Himself, and the third thing is, we have a desire to please God. Well, how else do we know whether we have a right relationship with God? In 1 John 3.23, listen to what he says. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. How do I know I have a right relationship with God? Very simple. I had a guy ask me in 1978 whether I was a Christian. I'm glad he asked that. Because I was convinced that I was. And I said, yes. And he said, when did you become a Christian? And then I was in trouble. So I went back to all the standard answers you can think of. Well, I was baptized when I was a baby. Kind of fishing. You know how you do that? That one going to work? That one didn't work. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, went to a private Catholic school. No. Nah. Didn't work. All right, how about this one? I was confirmed. Confession? First communion. Um, where are we going with this? You know, and then I knew I was in trouble. Because really, the question that you ask is, well, how does a person enter into a right relationship with God? It's not by anything that we do, but simply this. This is God's command. To enter into a right relationship with God you believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And what he was talking about is the name has to do with authority. It means more than just believe in the name of Jesus, but it means believe in the authority that God has given Him. What authority did God give Jesus Christ? He gave Him the authority to forgive sins. Remember the time that He, he healed the, the lame man and said, what's easier to do, say your sins are forgiven, or to have this guy stand up and walk? He said, in order that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, 
I tell this man to stand up and walk. The authority that God has given Jesus is to forgive our sins. So as we believe in his name, what we're believing is, is that Jesus Christ died to forgive my sins. And the question that he asked me was, very simply this, when did you accept God's plan that Jesus died for your sins? When did you believe in the name of Jesus Christ? And you know, up until that point, even, if I, even though I did all these other things, was baptized as a baby, went to Catholic school, went to church every morning, we went every day, went to communion, went to confession, you know, did all the things I was supposed to do, all the religious things, I never could say that I ever accepted Jesus Christ into my life. And the Bible is so simple and so clear. Romans 10, 13, For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is the witness, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. For he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And these things I've written to you. Why? So that you will know, head knowledge and experience, that you have eternal life. Ask yourself the question, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When did I call upon the name of the Lord to be saved? When did I believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins? First John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. That intimate personal relationship, I become a child of God and God becomes my father. When? When I received Jesus Christ. Ask yourself a question. When did I receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins? There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. See, the Bible is so clear, it's amazing to me that, I, that none of us could really understand that until somebody shares that with us. There is nothing that I can do. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is nothing that we can do. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. For it's by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. And the question really that God asks is, I'm offering this gift to you. When will you receive it? Now, for those of us who have received his gift, the Bible clearly teaches that at that moment, he gives us an assurance in our heart that we're rightly related to God, that we know of God and now know him personally. For those who have accepted Jesus Christ, the evidence of that acceptance will be very simple, and that is, is that we will live according to his commandments. 1 John 2, 4-6 says, The man who says, I know him, but doesn't do what God commands him, is a liar. The truth isn't in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. How do I know that I'm a child of God? I've asked Jesus Christ to come forgiveness of my sin. But also, the evidence is that now I feel compelled to do what God commands me to do. He shows me what's right and He shows me what's wrong. And if I really know God, I will choose to do those things that are pleasing to God. Now, it doesn't mean we're not going to blow it. And the wonderful thing is, when we do blow it, we can confess our sins and He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from it. And it's those times when we need to depend upon the Word of God because that's when we doubt our relationship with God. 
But I want to ask you a personal and difficult question, but it's easy to grasp as you can see it. And that is, do you truly know God? Have you invited Jesus Christ into your life for the forgiveness of your sin? Do you have an assurance in your heart that if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven? Absent from the body, present with the Lord is what the Bible says. Comfort one another with these words. See, I couldn't comfort you and you can't comfort yourself. If you haven't invited Jesus Christ into your life, the reality of it is is that you don't have that assurance. And it's not arrogance on our part to say that we're assured of it. What it is, it's confidence in the person and the character of God. I believe God. It's nothing about what I've done. I've done nothing. All I've done was invite him into my life and receive the free gift that he's given me. And the last thing, and and the other evidence that we have, is that we truly know God is by the activity of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. See, in 1 John 3.24, we see this. Those who obey his commands live in him. And he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. How? We know it by the spirit that he gives us. We're told in 1 John 5 that God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're a a child of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we know that we are, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, the Bible says that God puts his spirit in your life, in your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, God lives within us and dwells us as a down payment, saying that, you know what, I'm giving you evidence that you're a child of mine, and where your spirit is, I will put my spirit, and where my spirit is, he will come to reside with me again, and he'll bring you with him. And so the reality of all of it is, is I know that I'm a child of God. I know that I know God because now I am being convicted of things or feel guilty about things that before I used to do and never felt guilty about at all. You follow that? That's one of the greatest good news, bad news stories in all the Bible. I get people all the time saying, man, you know what? I, I used to swear like a sailor and I used to do this and I used to run around and do all these things. And man, it just really bothers me now when I do that. And I say, that's great. And they go, that's not great. It's miserable. Yeah, but you know why it's great? It's great because you truly have come to know God. The Spirit of God lives within you. The Bible says that that's the assurance that you have that you're a child of God. The wonderful thing is, while you're doing all these stupid things, if you get killed doing them, you'll still get to go to heaven. And they look at you like, oh, gee, that's a lot of comfort. You say, well, I mean, but really it is. But the reality of it is, is the Spirit of God convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit of God is the one who guides us into all truth. He lets us know the things of God. He teaches us the commandments of God. It's the Spirit of God living with every believer that keeps us on the straight and narrow when we want to do something that's not right before God. The activity of the Holy Spirit in your life is the greatest evidence and the greatest confident measure that you've really come to know God in a personal way. So as you go through all these things, ask yourself some questions. How do I know if I know God? Number one, I've got an assurance in my heart. I'm convinced of it. I'm confident of it. I demonstrate love towards people that previously I couldn't stand being around. I don't understand it, but it must be a miracle of God. I'm dependent upon God even when I doubt my relationship with God. I read the Bible and I'm convinced as I read it what God says is true. And I understand what he's saying and, and that's good enough for me. 
I have a desire to please God, and I never had that desire before. I, my only desire was to please myself. Now i got this whole new thing I'm dealing with. Number two is, I know, I know specifically that I accepted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I've asked Christ to come into my life. I've believed on His name. I've done all those things that the Bible says to do. Specifically, I just asked Jesus to come into my life. I believe that He died for my sins. And I also have a desire to do what's right before God. And the third thing is, is by the activity of the Holy Spirit in my life. I know that I'm a child of God because the Spirit of God continues to whisper to me in a still, quiet voice, Chuck, what you want to do is wrong. Chuck, what you're thinking is wrong. Chuck, do the right thing. Chuck, you did wrong. Confess it before God. Confess it before those who you, who you hurt. And move on and do the right thing. Chuck, you did a good job. Chuck, that was the right thing to do. You're doing good. Keep it up. See, that's how I know that I know God. Ask yourself a question. Do you? Have you asked Jesus Christ into your life? If you have, you'll have tremendous assurance. If you have not, there's nobody in the world that can make you feel good, confident, and assured of your relationship with God. There are a whole bunch of church people that know of Him, and there are a whole bunch that don't know Him personally. Job said, God, I've heard about you, but now I've finally seen you, and I've seen you face to face. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the assurance that uh, your word gives us. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life who testifies that these things are true. God, we just thank you that our relationship with you is not based on our performance. It's not based on works. It's not based on anything that we can do. But it's based on a simple trust in your plan, which is that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross as our provision for sin. And then he rose again three days later to demonstrate he has the power not only over death, but also the power over sin. God, I know that there are many problems in life that we struggle with, and the majority of them are rooted in the fact that we have not come to know you in a personal way. Father, I just pray for those who are here that have never invited Jesus Christ into their life, that today would be the day, today would be a day that they can walk out of here with the assurance that only you can offer them that at that moment in time when they ask Jesus into their life, that the Spirit of God, whom you distribute, will give them an assurance of their relationship with you. Your word tells us that if any man receives him, to that person he gives the right to become a child of yours, to those who believe in the name of Jesus. And we just thank you and we praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, next week, a uh, new series. It's one that I've been wanting to do for the last couple of years. Um, and you'll just have to come to hear what it is. 